Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Each week, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. This week, how to build new mathematical shapes from familiar equations. If you came across an animal in the wild, how would you learn more about it? You could watch what it eats, you could poke it to see how it reacts, you could even dissect it if you got the chance. Mathematicians are not so different from naturalists. Instead of studying organisms, they study equations and shapes using their own techniques. They twist and stretch mathematical objects, translate them into new mathematical languages, and apply them to new problems. The possibilities for new discoveries multiply as they find new ways to look at familiar things. That's the promise of a new idea from two mathematicians, Laura DeMarco, a professor at Northwestern, and Catherine Lindsay, a postdoc at the University of Chicago. They begin with a plain old polynomial equation, the kind that would be familiar to a high school student. But instead of graphing it or finding its roots, they transform it into a 3D object. Here's Catherine Lindsay. I mean, a polynomial, it's like takes a point in the complex plane and it gives you another point in the complex plane. Everything's defined on the two-dimensional complex plane. This just isn't really a natural place that the third a third dimension would come into it until you start thinking about these, these shapes that Laura and I are building. The 3D shapes that they build look strange. The objects have broad planes, subtle bends, and a zigzag seam that hints at how they were formed. DeMarco and Lindsay are introducing these shapes in an upcoming paper. They present what little is known about these objects, how they're constructed, and the measurements of their curvature. DeMarco and Lindsay also explain what they believe is a promising new method of inquiry. Using the shapes built from polynomial equations, they hope to understand more about the underlying equation which is what mathematicians really care about. In mathematics, several factors can prompt new research. One is the quest to solve an open problem, like the Riemann hypothesis. Another is the desire to build mathematical tools. A third is just wanting to understand what it is. That's the motivation behind DeMarco and Lindsay's work. Curtis McMullen, a mathematician at Harvard and Fields Medal recipient, says DeMarco and Lindsay are the first people to do something with an idea that's been in the air for decades. McMullen and DeMarco started talking about these shapes in the early 2000s while she was doing graduate work with him at Harvard. DeMarco then went off to do pioneering work, applying techniques from dynamical systems to questions in number theory. She was awarded the Satter Prize given to a leading female researcher from the American Mathematical Society for her work. In 2010, William Thurston, the late Cornell mathematician and Fields Medal winner, heard about the shapes from McMullen. Thurston thought it might be possible to take flat shapes computed from polynomials and bend them to create 3D objects. At the time, Lindsay was a graduate student at Cornell. Together, they explored the idea by making 3D objects from construction paper, tape, and a precision cutting device that Thurston had on hand. The result wouldn't have been out of place at an elementary school arts and crafts fair. Lindsay admits she was kind of mystified by the whole thing. Here she is again. I never understood sort of why, why we were doing this, what the point was, and like what was going on in his mind that made him think this was really important. And then unfortunately when he died, I couldn't ask him anymore. So it was like this mystery. You know, there's like this brilliant guy who suggested something and said he thought it was a really important, neat thing. So there's just this natural thing, so like natural to wonder, like, you know, what is it? What's going on here? Why is this important? 
In 2014, DeMarco and Lindsay decided to see if they could explore the mathematical significance of these objects. Getting a 3D shape from an ordinary polynomial takes some effort. The first step is to run the polynomial dynamically. You iterate it by feeding each output back into the polynomial as the next input. One of two things will happen. Either the values will grow infinitely in size, or they'll settle into a stable, bounded pattern. To keep track of which starting values lead to which of these two outcomes, mathematicians construct the Julia set of a polynomial. The Julia set is the boundary between starting values that go off into infinity and values that remain bounded below a given value. This boundary line differs for every polynomial. It can be plotted on the complex plane where it takes all manner of highly intricate symmetric fractal designs. If you shade the region bounded by the Julia set, you get the filled Julia set. If you use scissors and cut out the filled Julia set, you get the first piece of the eventual 3D shape. To get the second, DeMarco and Lindsay wrote an algorithm. That algorithm analyzes features of the original polynomial, like its degree and coefficients. It outputs another fractal shape that DeMarco and Lindsay call the planar cap. DeMarco says the Julia set is the base, like the southern hemisphere, and the cap is the top. If you glue them together, you get a shape that's a polyhedral. The algorithm was Thurston's idea. When he suggested it to Lindsay in 2010, she wrote a rough version of the program. She and DeMarco worked together to improve the algorithm and show that it did what they thought. For every Phil Julia set, the algorithm generates the correct complementary piece. The Phil Julia set and the planar cap are the raw material for constructing a 3D shape, but by themselves, they don't give a sense of what the completed shape will look like. This creates a challenge. Here's Lindsay. If you imagine the surface of a cube, you know that it's made of like six squares. And if someone like gave you those squares sort of unfolded like in the plane, like in, like in a cross shape, for example, and told you how to glue those squares together, you know probably just from your like intuition or from playing around with paper that when you fold it up, it'll make a cube. But there's actually no general mathematical theory that tells you what the shape will be if you start with like different types of polygons. Mathematicians have precise ways of defining what makes a shape a shape. One way is to know its curvature. Any 3D object without holes has a total curvature of exactly 4 pi. That's a fixed value in the same way any circular object has exactly 360 degrees of angle. The geometry of a 3D object is determined by the way that the fixed amount of curvature is distributed, combined with information about distances between points. In a sphere, the curvature is distributed evenly over the entire surface, in a cube, it's concentrated in equal amounts at the eight evenly spaced vertices. A unique trait of Julia sets allows DeMarco and Lindsay to know the curvature of the shapes they're building. All Julia sets have what's known as a measure of maximal entropy, or MME. The MME is a complicated concept, but there is an intuitive way to think about it. First, picture a 2D-filled Julia set on a plane. Then picture a point on the same plane, but very far outside the Julia set's boundary. From that distant location, the point is going to take a random walk across 2D space wandering until it strikes the Julia set. Wherever it first strikes the Julia set is where it comes to rest. 
The MME is a way of quantifying the fact that the wandering point is more likely to strike certain parts of the Julia set than others. It's more likely to strike a spike in the Julia set that sticks out into the plane, for example, than it is to intersect with a dip tucked into a region of the set. The more likely the wandering point is to hit a point on the Julia set, the higher the MME is at that point. DeMarco and Lindsay showed that the 3D objects they build from Julia sets have a curvature distribution that's exactly proportional to the MME. Say there's a 25% chance the wandering point will hit a particular place on the Julia set first. Then 25% of the curvature should also be concentrated at that point when the Julia set is joined with the planar cap and folded into a 3D shape. Here's Lindsay again. It was really easy for the meandering point to hit some area. In our 3D shape, we would want to have a lot of curvature there. It would be like very sharply curved. Whereas like if it was harder for the meandering point to get to some area, in our 3D shape, we want it to be kind of flat there. This is useful information, but it doesn't get as far as you'd think. If you're given a 2D polygon and told how its curvature should be distributed, there's still no mathematical way to identify where you need to fold the polygon to end up with the right shape. So there's no way to completely anticipate what the 3D shape will look like. DeMarco says, while we theoretically know how sharp and pointy the shape needs to be and how far apart regions are, we don't know how to visualize it in 3D. But DeMarco and Lindsay do have evidence of the existence of a 3D shape. Their position is similar to astronomers who detect an unexplained stellar wobble hinting at the existence of an exoplanet. The astronomers know there has to be something else out there and they can estimate its mass, but the object itself remains just out of view. So far, DeMarco and Lindsay have established basic details of the 3D shape. They know that one 3D object exists for every polynomial. They also know the object has a curvature exactly given by the measure of maximal entropy. Everything else still has to be figured out. They'd like to develop a mathematical understanding of the bending laminations, or lines along which a flat surface can be folded to create a 3D object. The question occurred early on to William Thurston, too. He wondered how hard it would be to compute and characterize the bending laminations for the inside and outside of the set. He also wondered what they could tell us about the geometry of the Julia set. DeMarco and Lindsay's work is heavily influenced by mid-20th century mathematician Alexander Alexandrov. Alexandrov established that there's only one unique way of folding a given polygon to get a 3D object. He lamented that it seemed impossible to mathematically calculate the correct folding lines. Today's strategy is often to make a best guess about where to fold the polygon, then to get out scissors and tape to see if the estimate is right. DeMarco says she and Lindsay spent hours cutting out examples and gluing them together. They're currently trying to describe the folding lines on their 3D objects, and they think they have a promising strategy. DeMarco believes that the folding lines can be completely described in terms of certain dynamical properties. They hope that by iterating the underlying polynomial the right way, they'll be able to identify the set of points along which the folding line occurs. There are many possibilities for exploration from there. Lindsay says certain polynomials may have similar bending laminations. They would tell mathematicians what these polynomials might have in common, even if on the surface they don't look like they have anything in common. 
But it's a bit early to think about all of this. DeMarco and Lindsay found a systematic way to think about polynomials in 3D terms, but whether or not it will answer important questions about those polynomials is unclear. Curtis McMullen, the Harvard mathematician, says he'd describe it as being kind of playful at this stage, and that's how some of the best math research goes. For more on this story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, 3D Fractals Offer Clues to Complex Systems, on our website. I'm Karen Chikurji. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantummagazine.org.